Let's look at one verse today, but it is rich. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There we go. May we pray. Father, we never just want to launch into your word without praying for your illumining power to come and give us all eyes to see and ears to hear the truths here. Uh, I'm not skilled enough to really uh, plant uh, spiritual truth in and of myself uh, in anyone's life, but through me, you can do that. So would you encourage us all in the various places of need that we all have? so that indeed we'd come out strengthened and fed and ready to face a challenging world in which many things are set against us. So strengthen us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Our culture doesn't read as much as we used to, and so when somebody asks you the question, who's your favorite author? of a book, some of us are like, oh, wow, when's the last book I read? You know, 50 years ago, TV sort of stepped into the place of reading books, and then for this younger generation, the internet stepped in and interrupted some of the reading. But uh, one of the interesting things that happened during COVID is a lot of book clubs uh, were rekindled, and people are once again reading some great novels. What's, who's your favorite author? Now, when I say that, the question is so broad, maybe we could narrow it down just a little bit, right? Because you got fiction and you got nonfiction and you got the classics and you got the modern works and then you even have more secular writings and then you have spiritual writings. Let me zero it in on who is your favorite spiritual author? That's most appropriate for right now, right? And uh, the questions that we face here in church. I've had a host over the years in my own life, you know, Francis Schaeffer, John Stott, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Some of you are looking like, I don't know any of those guys, so uh, he must be really old. Tim Keller, right? Um, Jackie, Francis Chan, uh, many of the modern writers uh, touch us, but... One I've uh, begun to appreciate a little bit more in the past 10 or 12 years is John Piper. And I was reading in some of his writings, and something he wrote uh, really got my attention when he said, out of all of the books in the Bible, Romans is my favorite. And out of all of the chapters in Romans, Romans 8 is my favorite. And out of all of the verses in Romans 8, this one is my favorite. And, and I stopped at that point. I wanted to play a little game. I wonder if I could kind of predict which one would really arrest Piper's attention, this giant in the evangelical world, and I could predict what it was. So mentally, I went through my list of what's in Romans chapter 8. And many of you know these, right? Chapter 8, verse 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe Piper would hone in there. Or maybe about verse 16, he talks about all of creation groaning and being long to be set free from its travail. It's in the, the pains of childbirth. And, and when God comes, finally creation itself will be set free. 
Or maybe it's the comfort passage when we are so wounded, we don't even know how to pray as, as many of us have felt in the last few days with this shooting, right? And the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Maybe, maybe Piper grabbed a hold of that. Or maybe it was the one that you hear so much in our circles, Romans 8, 28, and God calls us all things to work together for good, right? To those who love God, who are called according to His purpose, God's sovereignty. Or maybe just a little past that, it's the golden chain of salvation for whom He foreknew, He predestined, whom He predestined, He called, whom He called, He justified, whom He justified, He glorified. Or maybe it's just that last little exclamation point Romans 8, 35 and 30 through 39. I won't quote it all, but it's the simple idea that uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor height nor depth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, I read what Piper said, and it was none of my choices. <laughs> Verse 32. And two things surprised me. I didn't even know what 32 was. And then in addition to that, when I read it, right, when I read it, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I didn't even get it. I didn't understand why he was so taken with this in comparison to the ones that, that touched my heart. It's kind of like when you do talk to somebody in one of these book clubs and they say, oh, 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 the next book we got to read, the next book, you, we got to read this. It's incredible. And you read it and you go, what? They thought that was good? We need to give them some help if they think that's good. Well, I didn't want to put Piper in that posture, like Piper needs some help. <laughs> it's I who needed the help. So I sat at his feet, and I read on, and God uh, really opened up a real fresh sense of the wonder of the gospel through this message. And I trust as we sort of follow a line along, I'm heavily debted to Piper today for this, but... Uh, so blessed me, and I trust it will bless you. Let's start to unpack this verse. What was so staggering about this verse? First of all, it's not the scope of the promise. What's the promise? That God will give us all things. Now, that is amazing, right? That God would give us weak, inconsistent, frail sinners all things. That's impressive, but God has said that many places before, right? Psalm 84, 11, no good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. Or maybe perhaps more familiar, Philippians 4, 19, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We've heard that before. It is amazing, but it's not what really is the most staggering thing. What is staggering is not so much the scope but the logic on which the promise is founded. We're going to talk about logic in here for a little bit. 
And you're probably having a flashback to high school logic class, which you hated. And you're like, oh no, what have I gotten myself into? Just hang with me a minute. Every promise that's given has a foundation upon which it rests. And if the promise is given, it either has a solid foundation on which we would think, yes, indeed, I can expect the promise to be fulfilled, or a weak foundation upon which to base its fulfillment. Let's look at the text here. The promise is that God will give us all things. What's the foundation? What hope is inspired through the foundation of this verse. The foundation is, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Let's think about that for a minute. And to do that, we gotta figure out a little bit about what's going on by Paul pointing us to this foundation. Let me get at it this way. Who killed Jesus? Now, some of us are going to say, well, easy. Judas, right? For 30 pieces of silver, he wanted to have Jesus killed. And others who are, you know, a little more thoughtful say, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute now. Uh, Judas didn't have the power or the authority to do that on his own. He had to go to the Jewish leaders. So it was really the Jewish leaders who killed him, right? But then again, the Jewish leaders didn't have full authority in that day and time to execute capital punishment, so they had to go to the Romans, and therefore they went to who? Pilate. Pilate killed him to kill the peace, to uh, keep the peace. How about this answer? None of the above. What does the text say? He who did not spare his own son. God the Father was that primary cause behind his son's death. Pilate, Judas, the Romans, they were secondary causes. But the primary cause was the Father. Now, are we really tracking with Scripture here? Are we getting a little off base? Well, the first sermon that was ever given in, at Pentecost, Peter's sermon, remember? Acts 2.23. He interprets Jesus' death this way. This man, Jesus, was delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. He doesn't even mention the Romans. He doesn't mention Judas. He doesn't mention the Jews. Or Isaiah 53, the passage in the Old Testament, which most clearly marks out this smitten one who would be our Savior. Who was he smitten by? Isaiah 54, 53, 4. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. That's what the text says. Or verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to bruise him. He, the Father, has put him to grief. Or Abraham, here's another pointer that should have alerted us to the, to the 
almost breathtaking reality of, of how salvation is un, going to unfold. Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, you remember, is asked to take what? His son up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice his son. Yet in that incomplete picture of salvation, a ram is given whereby Abraham doesn't have to kill his son. But in the completed picture, in Jerusalem, the father does kill his son. That's the foundation upon which our hope for the promise being fulfilled rests. Now, why why did the father kill the son? Verse 32, the second little phrase there, for us all. He gave him up for us all. The reason the father did not spare the son was because two things. It was the only way he could spare us. He had to pay for sin, and that was the way that he was going to do it. And that's what 95 out of 100 sermons focus on, right, is the idea that Jesus Christ's death paid the penalty in order to spare us, and that's a particularly, uh, it's absolutely appropriate, but it's not simply to point to what spares us. Here, more than any other place, it's given as a foundation, not just of our being spared, but our being assured that all of the promises that God gives us will be ours. Now, how does that work? How does the logic work? You've showed us what it is, but Sam, you're you're just teasing us. How does the father putting the son to death inspire hope that all of the promises will be fulfilled? Well, Paul, again, is using logic here. And to not bore you with Latin, it's the majori ad minus. He's arguing from the greater to the lesser. And you're probably going, oh, brother, here we go again. Let me put it in a little bit of an easy way for you to understand. Suppose I want to do two things. One is very improbable because the cost is so high. It's not likely I'm going to do it because it just costs too much. And the other is very probable because it really doesn't cost me that much to do it. Now, if I do the really hard one, which you weren't completely expecting me to do, what's your attitude toward the lesser one? Well, surely that one will fall along as well. Now, if you're still lost... Let me put it in the language of my own life here as I'm in semi-retirement. Got a son down the Hilton Head, got a son over in Mount Pleasant. And I tell them, hey, boys, I'm, I'm getting ready to retire. And, you know, I'm thinking about doing two things. I'm thinking now that I don't preach that often and our, you know, world is much more casual than it used to be. I don't need all these suits, so I'm going to send you a couple of suits and I'm going to send you a couple of suits. And you know, I don't really need all this money. I think I'm going to go ahead and just give you all my retirement right now. So you'll get it all. Now, one doesn't cost me that much, the giving away a couple of suits. But if you know me and how cheap I am, I am a Presbyterian minister. (laughs) 
You know, my sons are thinking, that ain't going to happen. I mean, you've heard the, here we are in a Baptist church, right? Y'all heard the joke about the, the Baptist preacher was really getting warmed up, and the deacon ran up, gave him a piece of paper, and the, the pastor said, hey, wait, 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 you won't believe it. We finally raised enough money to, to complete the new building. We've got enough pledges. We've got $100,002. There must be one Presbyterian among us. And from the rafters up in the balcony said, no, there's two of us up here. <laughs> I'm one of those Presbyterians. My sons would no more expect when the knock on the door came for there to be a check which they would sign for. They would be expecting the suits. But if a courier did arrive with that $100,000 check, they would know for certain that the lesser things are soon to follow. And that's what God is doing here. He's saying the way that my children who are so beset by fears and struggles and enemies will be able to be a, a believers that all that I promised them would be yours. The way to assure them that it will happen is by being the giving father who gives his most precious son for their salvation. My dear friends, God has promised us a lot. What do you have the greatest doubt that he will deliver to you? You know a lot of his promises, but we still doubt, don't we? Some of us are struggling with, you know, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of us struggle with the assurance that we are even saved. Because either we have a memory of some things we've done that we hope are not exposed and that haunt us, and we think, wonder if God's love is big enough to cover that. Or we picture ourselves, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm able to bury the secrets now, but in that great throne room scene, somebody will come forward and say, but I saw. And the cancel culture that undoes people right and left here for one fault we sort of bring that into the realm of salvation and think someone could lay a charge against the elect and undo us. But the Scripture says, who is there to bring a charge of God's, uh, against God's elect? Because what? He did not spare His own Son. And because He didn't spare His own Son, He can spare us. Doubt your salvation no longer. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, some of us have uh, trouble with the assurance 
of being loved and valued. You know, in the tail end, I quoted it. Um, I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor present nor the future nor any powers, height or depth, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We're okay with God forensically cleansing us. That where he pronounces a, a legal declaration of not guilty, but we don't believe God would really love us and value us. What's the grounds by which you could hope that God could love you? How good you're going to be this week? Well, how's that working for you? <laughs> Probably not too well. But something far greater has already been done. The father did not spare his own son. And because he didn't spare his own son, he can love you. He's done the greater. Welcome the lesser. Some of us doubt Romans 8.28 that God could cause all things to work together for good in our lives. So many things have come against us. And those are hard, and they are painful, and existentially, they, they do cause us to doubt that promise. Our trouble, perhaps more than any, is we just don't see them aright. They are painful, and they are discouraging. But instead of undoing our faith... They're building our very crowns that we will have in heaven. John Chrysostom, the great fourth century preacher, put it this way. Yet those that be against us, how many things are coming against you and discouraging you? Yet those who be against us, so far are they from thwarting us at all? Their efforts to thwart us, they actually become to us the causes of our crowns, so that God's wisdom turneth their plots against us unto our salvation and glory. Now, that's a lot to take. It's a fairly complex quote, but think of all the things that have come against this little church over the 10 plus years it's been going. You may not even know the whole history of this church, but stops and starts and moves and, and changes and discouragements have come against it from every turn. And yet, instead of giving up and saying, I'm headed to the big church where they have 12 staff and everything's already paid for. You're still here fighting to establish a toehold, a beachhead. All the people who wanted you out of town, their efforts are actually the gems which will adorn your crown in heaven. And God is turning the will of many people who are against you upside down 
to in some cases bring you to salvation and in some cases bring you to a mature glory as you keep fighting and pressing on. Many things look like they're destined for our destruction. Joseph in the Old Testament, right? His brothers sell him into slavery, ends up being the way that God uh, preserves his uh, nation from a famine. Genesis 50, 20. You, my brothers, meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And what, of course, is the absolute paramount picture of that? All those arrayed against Jesus. But God turned their wishes aside, upside down, and established God's, own, God's Son's glory through the crucifixion. Dear friends, take with you this day. The greatest has already been done on your behalf. And so you can trust that all of the other promises will be yours. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Usually, not every week, I don't quite know. How often do y'all have the Lord's Supper? Every two weeks? Every once a month? Every two weeks. All right. Well, if we had the Lord's Supper, let me ask you a question. Why is it so cotton-picking somber? Good grief. I thought Jesus rose from the dead. Well, it's somber because there we're focusing on what was the hardest thing, the greatest thing, the Father putting the Son to death so that, yes, our sins could be paid for, but that also we could be assured that everything else would follow. So as much as maybe you'd like for us to lighten it up a little bit, we have to focus on the greatest thing being done so that we would leave here with the joy of what awaits us, all things being ours. May we pray. Father, we love you and thank you for this few minutes to go through this rich, rich verse. And we lift up our hearts to you. We are, we are weak, but you are strong. Lift us to see what's been done on our behalf, the greatest thing, so that we could trust you for lesser things. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.